Hey everybody, St. Paul here and welcome to episode 25 of Music on the Run. Well, running in short season is all over. Yeah, we got snow here, pool's all closed up. But hey, we got the clothes to do it, right? Episode 25 features a really good friend of mine by the name of Jared Lawson. He's next on Music on the Run. Enjoy. Before we get started here... Do me a favor, wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donnie Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 25 of Music on the Run. Another interview from the Peterson basement. Yep, here we are. I'm getting comfortable here. I don't know if we'll ever get out of the basement, but uh, it's good. It's good. To, it's good to be back here. And you know what? This is coming out on election day, November third. So if you haven't voted, make sure you go and vote. Super, super important. Yes. Okay. On to my next guest. And my next guest is an incredible artist from the Pacific Northwest, specifically Portland. His debut record in 2014 was a game changer for him. And his status as Portland's, Portland's best-kept secret changed to international sensation. His music mixes soul and jazz, and, is my, and he is my favorite artist to come along in years. And my niece, Vanessa, turned me on to him. I remember I was driving from Palm Springs to L.A., and she called me. She said, Uncle, you got to hear this record. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And... Uh, I'm telling you, it's been my go-to record since I put that thing on. I've trained and run four marathons and countless other races to that record. He's got a brand <laughs> new record called Be the Change. Just came out, and I'm busy memorizing it, and I love it. Please welcome my buddy, Jared Lawson. Brother! Hey, Paulie, How what's are up? You? How you doing, Jerry? I mean, Jared. Hey, hey. <laughs> Inside joke. I mean, we've adopted uh, Jared. He's part of the Peterson family at this point. Uh, of course, we've renamed him as we do. He's now Jerry Larson. He's a nice, <laughs> he's a nice Norwegian kid, you know, from uh, Brooklyn Center. Norwegian How you been? Kid. It's been way too long since you and I had a chance to hang out and chat. You good? It's true. I'm so good. I'm really, really good. Even though I'm uh, living in a basement right now. We're in between houses. We're waiting for this house to get renovated, uh, finish the renovations uh, that we're about to move into. Okay. So that's going to be done within the next week or two. So we're really excited to finish the move so I can get my studio set back up and right. start making music again. And, and my girl can do her thing, do her dancing and her, her painting and all that. So Yeah, we, I want to hear more about her as well. But now you have an exciting thing happening, man. You just put out a record, came out on the 30th of October. Is that right? Well, the 30th of October is still coming, but yes. But we pre-taped this, so no one knows that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> <laughs> play along with me, man. Come on. Yes. Sorry. 
<laughs> so you you recorded this record. Tell me a little bit about this record, man. I'm I'm dying to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's uh, Sammy Figaro is of course a huge part of this album. Um, he and I came together a few years back. Right. It really kind of transformed my sound and uh, inspired me to start writing even more kind of into the sort of like, you know, Latin slash soul R&B jazz, <laughs> you know, if that's a thing. Um, you know, that's kind of like a realm that I've always been really into. And, uh, you know, it's like Sammy and I, of, of course, when we were kind of talking about that sound, we, of course, cited uh, D'Angelo, Oh, yeah. uh, Spanish joint as kind of like a great example of sort of fusing Latin rhythms and soul music together. Right. And we kind of want to move more in that direction of doing some music along those lines. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we got together at my place in Portland and I set up some congas for him and some microphones and I had a piano there and we just jammed for a couple of days straight. And uh, came up with some really cool ideas that I then uh, essentially adapted into Be The Change and uh, a couple of the other songs, like How Long, which is the last track. Right. Yeah. So Sammy was definitely like a huge part of this record. I, I actually work with Sammy probably 20 years ago on a record here in Minneapolis. And he does his, did he do his Sammy Davis for you, man? He sure did. Of course. Yeah. That, I mean, and I know that man, that is so great. Well, for those of you who have not heard this record, it's unbelievable. And I'm still getting to know it. And it's so deep, bro. Just like the last one. So I'm so excited to, you know, start uh, running again to that because that's how I, that's how I just got so into that last record. So let, let's take it back a little bit here. Now, you grew up in Portland, right? Yeah. Are your parents musical? Well, my father, definitely. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, from the time I was, uh, you know, maybe like, well, when I first started making memories, whatever, two mm -hmm. or three years old, till the time that I was about five, we were living in a studio, Um like an actual recording studio. Okay. And it was my father's. Um, so my father uh, had a band of his own back at that time and was, you know, opening up for bands like the Doobie Brothers and Steve Miller Band. And what? So he was, like, he was very much that. on track. Yeah, he was very much on track to like become, you know, uh, you know, a sort of, uh, he was kind of doing like a soul rock funk thing. And uh, I still have old recordings on tape of, of his band somewhere. Um, but yeah, my dad very much uh, actually later on in his life, he became a very accomplished jazz guitar player. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I've learned a lot from him over the years. Um, he got me kind of started on the piano and kind of just learning basic, uh, you know, kind of chord theory on the piano and understanding how, you know, basic like major and minor scales work and all that, you know, kind of fundamental stuff. Um, yeah. And then from there, I just kind of listened my way through and was picking stuff up by ear. What was playing in your house back in those days? Oh, gosh. Well, lots of, uh, my dad used to play a lot of Blood, Sweat and Tears. 
Mm-hmm. You play, uh, let's see, Bill Champlin, oh. the Sons of Champlin. Oh, yeah. I was huge into those guys. Um, and then, of course, Stevie Wonder, Donny Hathaway. You know, all the old, the great old soul records were just playing all the time. Aretha Franklin, Etta James, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then there was a lot of jazz also being played. He was heavy into Oscar Peterson. Hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I was like hugely influenced by Oscar Peterson growing up as a, as a young pianist. So uh, There's a tape that my father made with Oscar Peterson from the 50s I have to share with you. Oh my Oscar God. on piano and dad on, on B3. No way. <laughs> I'll send that to you after the interview. So oh, I, I, did, I was doing my, re- even though we're friends, I yeah. was doing my research on you. And they said you were a child prodigy. Who? I'll show you the article. What? You want, are you want fessing up to this or what? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> uh, I don't even know what that means either. But you, you were playing as a young man, and right? I mean, were you, were you playing a bunch of different instruments? How, what was that all about? Well, I didn't actually really start playing until uh, I think around 13. I picked up the piano. Um, a teenage you know, prodigy then. It, I, I guess. Sure, whatever. <laughs> I don't there know. you go. Own it. Own it. You know, I will say the piano came very naturally to me once I, I really committed to it. Um, it kind of took me a minute, I think, to really uh, kind of become determined about music. I think I was almost, because of the fact that my dad was so into music, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do something else. But oh. eventually, but eventually it just, you know, it just, it, it made its way into my heart. And I really realized that there was, it was my main passion. But it took me a minute to realize that. And then, um, you know, kind of finding the relationship between my voice and the piano was really what lit the fire to make me go, wow, you know, maybe I could really do something special with this combination of using my voice. And, and Stevie Wonder was hugely instrumental in inspiring me in that direction also. Did you play all throughout high school then? or uh, Tell me about the developmental stages where you so high school into starting to play around Portland. Yeah. In high school, uh, you know, I was always heavily involved in the chamber choir and, um, and we had like a vocal jazz ensemble. Right. So I started to play piano for the vocal jazz ensemble because I had just been kind of learning from my father how to, you know, sort of put together chords and he was teaching me how to read chord charts also. Okay. And specifically with like jazz extensions and jazz harmony. So I was able to, some of the, you know, the music that they would give us, even though I couldn't read notation and I still can't to this day, I could, if it said whatever, you know, G minor nine or, uh, you know, to B 13 or whatever, I could read those and I could actually, I was kind of learning to extrapolate sure. from, from those, uh, those symbols, you know. And so it was a good, uh, it was a good foundation for me to actually have a place to practice that stuff. And uh, my choir teacher at the time, who actually coincidentally is uh, Christopher Friesen's father, who's been playing bass for me for years now. His father, Tim, was my choir teacher in high school. Didn't know that. So, yeah. um, So, yeah, he was happy to have me, you know, on the piano at the time. And and he gave me that opportunity to kind of uh, sort of actually get some sort of onstage experience that way, which was awesome. Then you worked into 
playing around Portland, was that kind of your your decision? You said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to move into music. Or did you end up going to college? I mean, I did go to college. Um, and, you know, and I, I continued. Well, I, I kind of tried to do some theory studies and things like that. Theory just didn't really make sense for me. Theory, I don't know, somehow theory was like the opposite of how I think of music. So um, I, I tried about a semester of theory, which of course included things like oral skills and keyboard skills and all these other classes that just go along with, with the theory program. All of it just really turned me off. I hate to say that. Um, and it kind of pushed me in another direction. But I continued then, you know, while I was in, in college to, uh, to perform with the jazz band and the vocal jazz ensemble. And, um, you know, I kind of continued my, my jazz studies and it exposed me to a lot of new music. Um, we started doing things like, you know, Pat Metheny tunes and we were doing like Ray Brown trio tunes. Mm -hmm. and so it was really like expanding my vocabulary um, on the piano. When did you move into actually gigging around Portland? Yeah, so that was, you know, I, I think I was kind of tinkering around for, for many years, you know, kind of following the college days. Um, but it really wasn't until I met a couple of, a couple of musicians that really changed my whole um, perception of, of what I could do, actually because they made me rise to a new level. And those two musicians were Reinhardt Meltz, one of the most phenomenal drummers on the planet, plays with Gino Vanelli and uh, Pink Martini. I mean, he's just like incredible. One of the most phenomenal drummers I'll ever play with. And Jaybird Coder. So the three of us started a little trio thing where I was kicking bass and you know playing keys and singing, and Jay on the guitar and Reinhardt on the drums. And just like, we literally didn't have a rehearsal. Jay just called me up and was like, Hey man, why don't you come down to the candlelight room tonight? I'll just like, see what happens. And I was really nervous at the time because both of these guys are just heavy, heavy cats. Yeah. And I wasn't like, I wasn't super comfortable with my bass, my left-hand bass skills at that time. But I will say after about a year of playing as a trio with those guys, I, I think I must've leveled up two or three times, you know, to, it just really made me rise to a new level. And uh, I appreciate them for that. Jaybird Coder, uh, you know, I toured with him when he, okay. uh, he was playing guitar with, um, oh boy, brain fart coming in here. Uh-oh. <laughs> Curtis Salgado. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I got <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was playing guitar in the Steve Miller band, and he was playing guitar in uh, Curtis's yeah. band. So I've known him for probably since he was playing with you. Uh, wow, however, how many years ago is that? Would you say he was playing uh, with you? Shoot. I mean, when we first started, it was probably like maybe 15 years ago. Okay. Well, I'm talking about the, uh, the middle, late 80s for me. I'm older than yeah. you. So uh, that's course. when I met those cats. So that's great. So what what strikes me or what what I'm trying to get to the bottom of here is you you chose music or music chose you right mm -hmm. you did you end up having any other side gigs or anything like that to be able to oh yeah support yourself during these those times 
Definitely. I want to um, hear about the odd jobs, man. Come on. Okay. Well, you know what? Okay. So, you know, I grew up on a farm. I but, you know, when we moved, we moved from California here when I was eight years old. We moved out here to, well, I always say Portland, but we sure didn't, we didn't move to Portland at all. We moved to an 80 acre farm out in the middle of nowhere, uh, about an hour south of Portland. And uh, so I sort of went from living in a suburban area with a lot of friends around to living with no friends around, right. which really kind of made me turn to music in, in a way. But because I lived on a farm, I, you know, I had a lot of, uh, you know, kind of general experience with doing all different types of labor type of things. But also my grandfather had a machine shop right there on the property as well. So for a while, I worked for him doing some machining in his machine shop on a lathe and using, you know, drill presses and all kind of crazy machines like that. Um, from there, I actually went to doing stonework for about 10 years. Wow. I worked as a stonemason. Um, and all that while, that was actually around the same time as I was playing with Jay. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was kind of working stone. It was really my main gig and I was playing music on the side. Wow. Um, no yeah. kidding. So yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. So <laughs> tell me how you go from working with stone, not the Rolling Stones, but working right. with stone yeah. into this international phenom. I mean, was it that record you put out in 2014? Is that what kind of launched you? Well, yeah, absolutely. But also sort of concurrently with that, in terms of the timeline, like literally, I want to say maybe nine months before I released the album, I had to finish working with Stone. I was having uh, serious repetitive stress issues mm. in, my, in my wrists, particularly with my right wrist, but I was having issues all over my body also. It was just like, I'm a really small framed dude, you know, I was lifting hundred pound stones all the time, swinging a hammer at a chisel just over and over and over all day. Just a lot of um, stuff that's really hard on your body, hard on your back, hard on your neck, hard on your knees, everything. So I actually had a workman's comp claim because I literally couldn't use my hand anymore. My hand was like seizing up on me. Wow. Um, so I had to quit. And around that time, I decided to just really focus on, on the album and finish it up. So it kind of gave me the opportunity to take some time off um, and really focus my attention on finishing up, uh, you know, that first album of mine and get it out. At which point I just threw it up on iTunes one day, not really having any expectation of what was going to happen. And then next thing I know, I'm, I'm touring all over the world. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that? So you worked on this record with a friend of mine, by the way, Dave Freelander, who used to work at Paisley Park. That's we right. that out, right? <laughs> That's um, right. You finish this record. You're like, eh, I'll just throw it up there. You weren't like, oh, this is the greatest. I'm gonna. You had no expectations? I mean, I'm sure you had some. But um, You know, I mean, obviously I hoped... I hoped that people would hear it and, and would enjoy it and maybe something good would, would come of it. But I really didn't, I don't know, maybe I just lacked the self-confidence at the time to, to even believe 
in myself in that way. Tell me about um, some I, of the responses that started coming in. What, when did you get wind that this thing had legs? Um, so there's this, this DJ in the UK named Roger Williams. Um, he does a show called Soul Sorts. And I remember first hearing a podcast that he had done where he had literally played every song from the album and he like talked about all of the songs extensively and what he loved about them. And I was like, I mean, he was like, was glowing, glowing review while he was playing all these songs on his podcast. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. I like saved the podcast. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Played it for all my friends. I was like, You're not going to believe this. And, uh, and the next thing I know, it, like I'm realizing that he was not the only one, like there were all, tons of these other DJs, most of them in the UK, but some of them kind of sprinkled throughout Europe and Japan. And um, I just suddenly started to realize that this thing really had legs. How and, do you uh, prepare for something like this? I mean, what, what did you do when you, when you found out that you had this following starting to happen overseas and in Japan, yeah. how does that change you? God, that's a good question. Um, We're going to break away for a second here so I can tell you about a couple really important items. Number one, we have a brand new highlights page on YouTube. We want you to check it out. It's especially made by our intern, Jake Miller, for people who don't have quite enough time to sit through the entire video podcast. It's a great way to catch up on some great tidbits of information from all of our guests. You're going to have to search for it, I'm afraid, just simply because we need more subscribers on there in order for us to get a custom URL. But it's Music on the Run Highlights. You know what else is on there, you guys? A brand new feature that we've been doing strictly on Fridays. It's called Funk Friday. Got to have a little funk for your weekend. We feature great musicians, some former guests, some future guests, and it's a little one to two minute vignette of us jamming and funking out. And it's a great way to kick off your weekend. It's called Funk Fridays, every Friday. Check it out. It's on the Music on the Run Highlights Reel. And of course, you'll find it on Facebook and Instagram as well. All right, let's get back to the interview. How does that change you? God, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Did it? I, I, I don't know that it changed me at that particular time. I mean, I, I was already going through a tough time. I actually was in the middle of a divorce at that exact time also. Oh. She was just like, yeah, there was, yeah, rains it pours. You know, it's like, it's going through a divorce, non-amicable, mm. not fun. Um an emotionally rough time, you know, of course. And then I've got this like really, really incredibly uplifting, you know, thing happening with my music career. It was almost difficult to even know how to process it all at the time. Um, but I, I guess I did my best. I mean, I mean, the, one of the best things I probably did at the time was work with Dome Records, which who I'm still working with now. Uh, Peter Robinson at Dome Records was really like a, a huge piece uh, of kind of like helping to 
just sort of managed my career in a way, to be honest. I mean, he, he's the label owner, but he really took on so much more responsibility than that. Kind of became like a, a very managerial, you know, sort of position. It kind of helped guide me through a lot of unfamiliar territory, along with my manager at the time, uh, Dwayne Tellisford, who was also super, super helpful and actually hooked me up with Peter. So, um, yeah, it, it was nice to to sort of establish some connections with people like that that could be a supportive team for me, which was, as I'm sure you know, that's huge. To be did, able you to have any, did you have any idea what you were getting into? I mean, no. You, right. No idea. So and, they had know, to, they kind of had to guide your steps like, okay, this is what, you've got some legs. Now, this is what's got to go on. Did they spell yeah. it out for you and kind of mentor your, you through that process? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you know, again, Peter, hugely instrumental just in terms of, you know, when I was out on tour, he would actually, you know, he would sort of accompany me to radio stations and kind of give me the rundown, you know, what I should do. And, you know, um, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time together, just like we'd be in a cab, just running from solar radio over to the BBC you know, just like talking about all the things that we needed to accomplish for the day and him just kind of really guiding me. And he's, I mean, he still is here with me now and he's going to retire after this year. Um, so he actually was really excited that this is going to be one of the last projects that he works on is this, uh, this second record of mine. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to still be working with Peter um, just before he retires, actually. He, so you had never toured like that before. Had you ever toured even regionally? Well, no. Before, so it's brand, and how old were you when this record came out? Because this is important. Was, uh, Thirty-six. Is that right? So you had worked your tail off from the time in high school, playing clubs, laying stone, laying stone. Oh, I also worked as a piano tuner. Piano. T- oh, by the way, bring your uh, tuning forks next time you come visit me. Would you? I need you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm serious. I'm, what I'm trying to get to is the amount of dedication and belief and love and passion for music with all that comes with it. You stuck it out, man. You stuck it out. And at 36, all of a sudden your life changes, didn't it? It did. Very much so. And I think, you know, it's a good um, it's a good tale for those who, who are out there and think that you know, because you're past the age of whatever it is that Hollywood likes to tell you you're done if you haven't <laughs> made it by the time you're 21 or 22. It's just, it's a complete lie. You know, I made my first album at 36 and put it out there and and it was, it was well received and, and my life completely changed. It, it can't happen. That's the good news as well. Without a record company, you did this yourself, Right. I mean, at I, first, until you signed, right? Yeah, yeah. I, and to be honest, even after I signed, it was just a distribution deal with mm-hmm. Peter at that time, uh, which is sort of different from the arrangement that we have now, where it was like, I, we actually, um, I signed a contract to essentially give him the rights to this album. Um, Got it. So, yeah. And he's working. So the new now, music business worked beautifully for you the old model was was out the window you created 
just to create and and you had no pressures except for just wanting to put out the best record that you could and look what happened how does yeah. that make you feel to have the your life's work get the accolade, accolades I can't say it, but accolades it deserved. <laughs> yeah, it feels great. You know, it feels really good. It's it's nice to. Uh, I mean, I spent what four or almost maybe five years working on this album. That first, the first album you did. Um, and yeah, to, especially because I went to, into it with no expectations. I think it really felt great to um, you know to get the accolades that that followed. Had you ever been to Europe before? I had been to Europe before. I had actually had traveled pretty extensively across Europe. Oh, you did? Um, okay. Yeah. Um, my ex-wife and I were avid travelers, and uh, we spent actually a couple of months just backpacking through Europe. Oh, killer. To about 40, 14 different countries or something um, many years ago. And yeah, I, I, even like earlier than that, when my my grandmother on my mother's side died relatively young from cancer, unfortunately. And so my grandfather was kind of left with no partner. This was around the time I was in like early high school and he wanted to have a travel partner and that he chose me. So um, I had the incredible opportunity to go to a few places with him. Actually, he took me to uh, Eastern Europe like just after the wow. Berlin wall had come down, like literally the year after the Berlin wall came down and we got to go to uh, Germany, Poland at that time, Czechoslovakia before yeah. it split into two different countries. Um, yeah. So that was an incredible experience to have at 14 years old or whatever I was. Um, so yeah, I, I had done a lot of traveling before that. Since this is called music on the run, we talk about, how you stay healthy mentally, physically with your relationships on the road. Give me an idea of what a typical day on the road for you is like. Typical day on the road. Yeah. You got press, you got what? Four hours of sleep usually. Four hours of sleep, get up really early to probably get on a train or a plane to go to a new city. And I'll oftentimes get to the city with just enough time to get to the venue, change clothes, you know, sound check. Right. And play the show. Hopefully get some food in there. So, you know, at some point. That, that's like a pretty average day on the road. I, I hate to say that. It's like, it's <laughs> awful. It's like you eat terrible, you sleep terrible. It's like it, none of it is really conducive to optimal performance, mm. but it's just kind of the way it goes. So how do, you you keep your, how do you keep how do you keep it together? Because this is instrumental in, in passing this information down as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm pretty health conscious in general. Everybody knows that about me. I drink a ton of water, particularly when I'm out on the road. I don't drink alcohol for the most part. I drink tons of water. Um, I try to if if I know where we're going ahead of time, you know, I try to like do a little investigation on where are some you know, maybe kind of health food type of stores that are close by to the venue or the hotel where we're going to be, where I can go maybe grab a hold of something that's going to, you know, give me some sustenance and make me feel good and, and kind of feed my brain. And there you go. Um, like those are important things for me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, trying to, because of the fact that a lot of the times we don't get a lot of sleep at night, um, try to just 
pass out on the trains if I can <laughs> get as much in between sleep as you can. That's like, right. that's crucial. Do you ever get a chance to like, are you one of these guys who likes to work out? Are you into meditation or are you just like, look, I got to sleep and I need to put some good food in my body. I mean, the, you know, I've recently gotten much more into meditation, actually, particularly since I've met my new partner, Eva Lee. Um, we've gotten into a much more um, diligent uh, routine in that way. So we meditate every morning when we wake up for about 20 minutes. And I'm kind of eager to sort of bring that into my, my touring regimen when we get back out on the road. Because I, I feel like it improves my life in a number of ways. Um, yeah. Tell me so, about yeah, your man. new. Tell, tell me about your new relationship. I want to hear about that. My new boo boo. Yeah, <laughs> is she over there? She is over here. Hi, over there, <laughs> over there. I'll, I'll let her peek in if she wants to. Well, yeah, come on <laughs> in. I know she's like just just fresh out of bed. <laughs> I look a mess. She doesn't. She, she doesn't don't. No pressure here. You don't have to come in if you don't want to. Nice to meet you off screen there. I'm sure yeah. I'll meet you in person nice soon. Yeah. Yeah. Alyssa looks gorgeous, even though she just Aww. woke up. She works at uh, a bar, so oftentimes we are up pretty late into the night after she gets done working, and we eat late. Unfortunately, it's yeah. not not ideal, but um, it's just kind of part of her routine. Well, good for um, you, yeah, man. I'm happy. I'm happy for you. Both, thank actually. You. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we just met about a year ago. Actually, we just had our one-year anniversary. Last month. Uh, last month. And, nice. Um, it has been an absolute beam of sunshine in my life. I'm yeah. so glad. Yeah, she's... A, what have you guys been doing during COVID? I mean, th- I, we've had some downtime. We aren't touring. What right. goes on in your life while you're not touring? Yeah. Good question. Um, gosh, you know, I mean, during, she actually moved in with me, uh, just when the quarantine kind of went into effect. Right. Actually. So she had just moved to Portland. She moved into an apartment by, you know, on her own. Mm-hmm. And then the quarantine went into effect and suddenly neither of us had any income. And she was like, Oh my God, I can't afford to live here anymore. Um, and I basically was like, why don't you just move in with me? <laughs> Even though we had only been dating for what, two months? Or? No, we were dating for like seven months of them. No way. Okay. This well, is a I'm classic probably... guy girl conversation happening right here. Dating in this is classic. Dig yeah, yourself well, a deeper hole there, Jared. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I did. I'm checking that out. That's how that works. Yeah. Um, I get it. Yeah. So she moved in with me. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of just hiding out, not right. really leaving the house very much. We would go out to buy groceries and we would buy like, we the park. yeah, we would play at the park. All right. Even though we weren't, we weren't supposed to, yeah. cause we lived at that time, we lived right across from a little, uh, middle school. So we would, we would just walk over there and we would walk around the, you know, there's kind of a park attached to that area. We would walk around the park and then we'd go over to the swing sets and we would, even though they had signs on it to stay away. And we were just like, yeah, whatever. Terrible. Yeah. We're worst. <laughs> it's okay. So did you finish your record during this whole thing or was it done? At that time we were still working on it actually. Okay. Yeah. I think we were in the mixing phases of the record. So let's move into talking about be the change. 
Yeah. Your, your, I want to hear about your experience recording that record. Okay. So tell me yes. about how that you, you said you started with Sammy Figueroa. How did it develop into this incredible mix of everything that I loved about the last record, which is harmonies, soul, jazz, all of the above, and these great chord changes and really smart approaches to some incredibly complex but really funky and soulful songs. Thank you, man. Um, well, yeah, so, okay, the record is sort of, I sort of think of it in two parts because there are songs that I, I took my quintet, so that was, uh, you know, Sammy Figueroa, Christopher Friesen, Corey Lemwaco, and Trent Barspool. We went to the studio and we recorded basic tracks for Be The Change, How Long, um, Embrace What We Are. Uh, what else did we do? Oh, well, I had also already had some basic tracks done for some other tracks like Universal Chord, okay. which I then had Sammy do some congas and, and some other incidental percussion stuff on. Um, so we did all of that at a specific session. This was kind of li much later on. Um, but leading up to that time for the last, you know, whatever, six years that it's been since I put out the first record, um, I already had been working at home just on some of these other songs, God. you know, uh, soul symphony. i was just kind of had been tinkering around on at home. Boy, I like that new arrangement of that, man. Woo. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, I'm yes. I'm playing bass on that one too. No. Yeah. You get greedy, man. Got to leave that to <laughs> leave that to the pros, man. No, I'm just kidding. That's great. I, I probably just re-listen, man. That's very cool. But um, yeah. So 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 a lot of these songs I had already been kind of working on and just recording slowly in my own time at home. You know, in my home recording studio. Um, and I had done some basic tracks with Reinhardt on drums, uh, Damian Erskine on bass, another super super badass cat, and um. Yeah, so when you think of it like that, some of the songs are are uh, very much like my newer quintet and that, that sort of sound, uh, that kind of Sammy Figueroa has sort of infused into my sound. Right. And some of the other stuff is a little more, you know, kind of just sounds like I recorded it at home. <laughs> I, I don't think so, man. It sounds very, very consistent and, and beautiful throughout I, I do want to talk to you about this. And I, when I, first of all, let, let, let's set the stage of how you and I met. I mentioned briefly that uh, Vanessa turned my niece, turned me onto your music. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. I think we stalked to you for like three months, trying to get <laughs> you to come to Minneapolis to, uh, to do a gig, which you ultimately actually did, which we were all freaked yeah. out about. We're like, he's really coming. This guy's coming. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> By this time, we had the whole family turned on to the record, and we were like, who is this dude? So you came to Minneapolis. I think we might have opened up for you at Ice House, and then we started a friendship. Sure and then I think we did a, a fundraiser with Stokely That's Williams, right. Jesse Larson, and me. Yeah, at the Dakota. And then we did a gig at Crooners. So. You yeah. and I have actually, you know, we've known each other for a few years now, and so it's it's exciting yeah. for for me to be able to get the chance to interview you, and also 
hear that new record because I'm part of the press pool. I got to hear it before <laughs> it came out. That's right. I feel pretty good about that. But what turned me on to your music not only was your mixture of soul and jazz, but your lyrics, man, because you you are, correct me if I'm wrong, socially conscious, you have some spirituality in there, and that continued through this record. What drives you your your lyric writing? What what uh, makes that happen? Um, yeah, that's a really. I guess that's a really broad question. You know, Thank I, you. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm uh, just here to help you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously, my my experiences in in my life, um, you know, of course, inform what I write about. Um. Oftentimes, um, a song like Embrace What We Are, which I, I wrote, sort of surrounding this whole, um, this issue of police brutality, specifically aimed at people of color. Yeah. Um, and I, I really wanted to say something about that, but kind of wrap it up in a, in a, in a message that was not dark and, and not specifically focusing too much on the negative aspects of that, but kind of more giving a message of hope, which was let's embrace what we are. We are all brothers and sisters. We got to come to that, to that conclusion and, and really like embrace that concept. Um, so yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is most of my stuff is autobiographical in some way or another. It's it, right. there, there are things that are kind of stirring around in my head or, just things that I want to say or questions that I want to pose to the world that maybe make people think about stuff that in a way that maybe they don't on the day to day. Did you have a bunch of protests and things going on in Portland during this whole COVID time over the oh, yeah. murder of George Floyd and everything? Oh, huge, huge protests yeah. here. Right. So yeah, let, I mean, here's a question that was asked to me and early on you and I, are soul singers or soulful white singers right. who love black music. How right. can we, specifically you, because I already got asked this question, how can <laughs> you be a positive force uh, being a you know white soulful singer and one who loves the black culture, Stevie, um, all these guys, how can you be a positive force in today's day and age? Oof, that's a heavy question. It is. I mean, you know, being the best ally that I can to people of color, um, whatever that means, you know, um, again, you know, I, I took the opportunity to release Embrace What We Are as the first single from this album. And, um, I actually am donating the proceeds from the single to Color of Change, the Color of Change organization. Um, so I'm trying to, I, I suppose it's kind of a lead by example type of thing, right? Right. Um, to show other, other white folks around you in, in your sphere of influence that this is the way forward, is to support black folks, to support you know, people of color um, in the best way that we can. And Brilliant. for me, the best way that I know how is through my art, I suppose, yeah. is really at the, at the heart of it. Right. 
that's exactly how I, I, I view it as well. I think because we have a platform as well, people look up to you, people are mm-hmm. watching you, sure. people want to see how you're dealing with this. And I don't know about you, but I'm always asking questions like, how can I help? Because I don't have all the answers. I'm sure you don't have all the answers. And, you know, frankly, how could we have the answers? I think as long as you and I and people like us make an effort and and, and point out injustice and, and like Mm -hmm. you said, lead by example through our platform – we can bring people along for the ride and bring people together. And that's what your music does is it brings people together. It's such a blessing to be able to have a new record from you, man. This is so great. <laughs> Thank you. Man. So excited. So tell me when, where we can find it. Is it on vinyl? Is it, uh, tell me it's a little bit, give, give me more information on it. Uh, it is on vinyl. I, um, I must buy one. I shall support you. <laughs> I think that uh, I actually can't tell you exactly where all the vinyl will be available. I know that they're going to be carrying some at Dusty Groove in Chicago. That might be one of the closer places that you could find it. Okay. Um, unless we can get it into a record store in Minneapolis. Maybe you could help us make that happen. I got you covered. I don't know. <laughs> I, got, I have you covered like now covered. Sweet. Um so yeah, I mean, it's going to be, we're getting much better distribution on this album than I did on my first record. I actually did not have a distribution deal at all on my debut album uh, in the US, which was a huge mistake on my part. Again, I was so green and had no idea what I was doing. So Green at 36, man. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, love it. it is what it is. Yeah, totally. So we're, we're doing it right this time. Um, you know, again, Dome Records is, is, uh, is really working their tails off for me in terms of getting this, this record placed in all the right places. So, um, you know, you'll be able to, of course, digitally download the record on all the major platforms, um, CDs and vinyl will be available at, at, uh, select locations, I would imagine. So yeah, look around for that. Jared, the Peterson family, we are your biggest fans. We really are. We love you. Um, we totally got your back. Stay with us whenever you come to town, as you know that. Um, I mean, so much. And you guys are like family to me. I absolutely adore you all and respect you musically and otherwise. And it's just such a blessing to have you in my life, honestly. Good luck. Best of luck. Go get them, man. Hey, are you? do you have a tour set up? Is there such a thing? Are you waiting? It's a thing. I know it's a great question. Um, right now, I do have some dates set for uh, the Jazz Cafe in London in May. Okay. Of course, we have no idea if this is actually going to come to fruition, but um, yeah, I guess we'll kind of play it by ear, so to speak. We and see look, how where, where can we look up your dates? What's your website? Uh, it's just jaredlawson.com. Beautiful. And we can find you on social media as well. Yes, sir. Best of luck, my brother, and uh, I look forward to seeing you back here in Minneapolis soon. Likewise. Love you, brother. Hey, that's episode 25 of Music on the Run. We will see you in a couple of weeks. We're out. See you in a minute. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. 
Video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, never give up on your dreams. Ooh.